Welcome to the Hopecast. We're glad you're joining us this week. Here we have conversations about finding life. And welcome to the Hopecast. This is Nicole Eunice, joined by David Dwight here in 2019. 2019. New year. Do you like the new year? Yeah, I do like the new year. Feels like a fresh start. Yeah, it's always interesting how we kind of schedule the new year and call it the new year because the calendar says it's the new year. Right. So we do New Year's resolutions and all that. And I'm sure we've talked about New Year's resolutions in past podcasts at New Year's. <laughs> yes, I'm sure we have. <clears throat> but it's been at least a year. I sometimes so think, it might is, there a to- is there a topic we haven't covered? <laughs> think, but then lo I'm, and behold, it's like, wow, we got some fresh ideas. I don't like live that well in time, so I don't know how long we've been podcasting, but I feel like... This might be like the seventh New Year. Is that possible? It's possible. It's probably right. We could. Is it accurate? I'm not find, sure, but is it possible? We can find out. Maybe I'll Feels find out. Feels very before, possible before our next podcast. Maybe yeah. I'll find out. Yeah. So you don't believe in New Year's resolutions? I can't remember. Um. You don't think they last? No, no, no. <laughs> it's uh, it's very timely because, of course, this time of year, this is what people are talking about. Uh, Elizabeth and I have been talking about this a lot. Um, I don't like the idea of New Year's resolutions personally, uh, just being really transparent. They just feel like we're setting ourselves up for failure. (laughs) And I'm like, why, why do we want to set ourselves up for failure? Now, some people might say, well, don't you believe in trying to, and then the question is trying to what? Trying to get healthy, try to get better, try to improve, try to become a better person. Yes, I believe in all of that. The question is, do I believe that like creating resolutions and or like setting forth very sort of programmatic goals? Mm. um, I would say for me, that usually doesn't work that great. I think it's a lot of personalities involved in this conversation. The way I would say it is, I would probably journal or write down some ideas and they would go something like this. What are some things that I would love to uh, accomplish this year? Mm. What are some things I would like to add uh, to this year to make life feel more meaningful? Mm. Okay, but I don't quite word it and say, here's a goal. It has to be done by this time, and it has to be X number of these and so on. Right. uh, so I do, th- I do think it's some, it's probably some personality. I bet for some people that works. Obviously we know for most people it doesn't cause that's what the stats will say is that it's hard to stick to those things, but maybe for some, it's a helpful thing. I like the idea of the intention. Like it's an, it's a time <clears throat> of intentionality. I think where we're more prone to reflect mm-hmm. back and then think forward, um, and maybe set some rhythms or, you know, re- reset some right. rhythms. Yeah, uh, it, it. I really think it's very largely personality driven. <laughs> the way you do it, right, right? I mean, most people, I think, almost across the board, would say, "Do you like the idea of looking at a year ahead and thinking how we might seek to make life better mm-hmm. or become better?" I think most people are going to say, "Yeah, they like that." Um, <clears throat> do you do it out of guilt, or do you do it out of? Uh, a positive and hopeful perspective, Mm. all of that stuff starts getting into the personality stuff. But um, yeah, I do like the new year. I like the sense of hope and optimism. Um, But I also think, uh, and 
this will tip into a bit of uh, what I might say in a sermon this weekend. Um, I think hopefulness and optimism um, for most people as life goes on uh, is a choice. Mm. There are some people whose personalities are just hopeful and optimistic, and that's wonderful. You know, you want to have those people around. Uh, unless they're like just completely over the top and a real pain in the neck. <laughs> and like, yeah, Pollyanna <clears throat> about everything. Right. Um, but, you know, there can be a lot in life. Uh, I think a phrase I'm playing around with is discouragement will happen all by itself. You have to choose hope. That's good. That's a good word. Um, but you can choose hope. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean hope is an artificiality. Um, it's just that you have to cultivate hope. Yeah discouragement will grow like a weed. Mm. It'll just, it'll just show up and grow in the yard of your life. Um, you have to tend to and cultivate hope and you can, and you can create a lot of beauty doing that. Mm. I actually, <clears throat> as you were saying that I would, it, it was funny because my visual picture was of cultivating tending. And the word that came to mind was, uh, protective. Like you, you have to protect hope a little bit. Um, and I guess for me, that means, I think about things that bring hope and it's easy to squash them. Like they need more uh, protection and tending in order to let them take root in a way that I think makes a difference. But yeah, it's go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, if you use a theological idea, um, we would use the term, you know, we live in a fallen world or we live in a world where sin has um, shaped life at the core such that at all levels, um, it is not the full beauty uh, and the full composition uh, of positiveness as God intended it. Mm. <clears throat> so that means, that sort of means then discouragement grows like weeds, but hope you have to cultivate. Mm. But um, I think sort of in heaven, if you could say it this way, uh, hope grows all by itself. Mm. Hope and optimism and encouragement and excitement about the future and a positive forward lookingness. That's all the normal MO that all just grows all by itself. And that would be one element of heaven that I think is, you know, it's going to be something that mm. it's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's like a big reversal for sure. Exactly. Well, and it's interesting too, even as we talk about this and get into our topic for today, it's interesting to me how we all, I think we all perceive each other as very different and very unique and lots of different kinds of people and all that. But at the core of it, it seems like most of us really kind of are looking for the same things. We might be trying to accomplish them in different ways, but we're looking for hope and we're looking for peace and for joy and these like essential human qualities that I think make up our existence. And so we talked this last few weeks about peace and I think every person is looking for peace, Mm -hmm. you know, in some way or another, whether they think they're going to get it through a resolution or a change in their behavior Mm -hmm. or that it's going to somehow come to them in Mm -hmm. a series of circumstances. So what do we, um, what have we learned about peace that maybe is a little different than the way the world sees it? So in a couple of the messages around Advent, um, a couple of things that come to mind with what you're saying was that, um, St. Augustine, sort of church father, theologian, uh, who lived back in the fourth century, um, 
he sort of said the search for peace is the most comprehensive human search. Hmm. Other people might say the search for love, um, but you could probably pretty quickly tie those cords together yeah. pretty fast. Um, <clears throat> is love, does love come with peace? Does peace come with love? Um, but Augustine was comprehensive about his saying that really the search for peace is very much the human search. And he wrote in uh, one of his theological uh, books called uh, The City of God, mm. um, he said, my, uh, my soul burns for peace. Now, he's an interesting biography. His story is interesting. Mm. He is a guy who was well known to have a dramatic conversion as an adult. And it's pretty well known uh, for people who have read and learned about him that his younger years were kind of wild man, kind of wild mm. living. So when he was converted uh, to Christ, um, he struggled to make peace with the guy he knew that he used to be. Mm. And that's an interesting part of his journey. Uh, a good friend of mine who's a minister I mentioned in one of my messages and I were talking about this. And he, uh, he just said immediately, isn't the search for peace what motivates pretty much everything we do? Mm. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, <clears throat> I really think that the search for peace may be behind almost everything we do. And I said, well, like what? He said, like, we think if we can buy that house and live in that neighborhood, it's going to give us the peace of identity or relationships or keeping up with the Joneses or whatever it is, we think it's going to bring us peace. Yeah. Or if I feel more connected relationally with people, it's going to give me the peace that I want, whether that's happening face to face or social media or whatever. It's almost um, like the, the, the universal if then statement, like if enter whatever you think that's going to be, then I'll be at peace. If then I'll be at peace. Like it's like this yeah. final state that we're looking to achieve through all kinds of means. Right. And to, to turn the conversation just slightly, um, another way to look at it would be all of those places of unrest in us. Those are all searches for peace. Mm. All those places that are, uh, let's use the word disquiet. All those things, those internal turmoils, mm. the longings, the lonelinesses, the inadequacies, the sense of feeling that I'm not popular or I need to keep up or I'm not enough this or I'm not enough that. Like all of that stuff is the search for peace. Mm. And I don't know anybody that doesn't have that stuff inside of them. Some people, the degrees may vary. Some people may have... Um, more disquiet than others, mm. but I don't know anybody that doesn't have some of it. So this idea that peace is this really, really deep, deep search uh, for us as human beings. Um, at Christmas time, uh, Elizabeth, my wife, and I were talking about um, what is it about Christmas that brings so much buildup, and then for some personalities, and I would certainly include mine, the risk of so much letdown. Mm. And we were talking about this because we had a long car ride. And I said, I think it's all about longing. I think all of the stuff that comes with Christmas, um, call it the Christmas spirit, call it Christmas cheer, the sense of lights in the windows, a greater sense of 
people and friendship and community and goodwill and relational warmth and connectedness and Christmas carols, bundle all of that stuff together. It's this sort of warm feeling that speaks to the longing that we have in mm. human hearts. Mm. And depending on how a family may do Christmas, we can build that up in really big ways um, and support it with a lot of supporting structure. Mm. It's going to be so beautiful. It's going to be so incredible to be together. We're going to sing Christmas carols together. We're going to open presents together. We're going to have beautiful meals together. Um, if this sounds a little autobiographical, it was for my Christmas. <laughs> Um, but all of that, I think, is part of the longing that we mm -hmm. hope for. And then, lo and behold, uh, this particular Christmas, we had a lot of my family in town, and it was wonderful. Um, but now the house is quiet again, right. and the crash and the come down hmm. is pretty substantial. Um, now, some people might say, oh, no, it's not. I like having the house quiet again. I like getting back to my routines. And I can appreciate all of that. But for some people's personalities and emotions, that come down is pretty mm. substantial. For sure, I would say that's true for me. So I have to um, sort of coach my soul into places of peace because those deep, deep longings that sort of get accentuated at Christmas, but then we put the tree away, you know, the decorations are back in the mm -hmm. boxes, like, whoa, it's like, I guess we're going to put all those longings away again until what? Um, until, until we have a fuller work of Christ that redeems all mm. things. How do you coach yourself into peace? Um, <clears throat> probably pretty similar to cultivating hope. Mm. Um, I, I coach myself almost the way I would talk to another person, mm -hmm. um, that while things may seem contorted and difficult in the world, uh, there's a God who is good, beautiful, and who's Lord over all of it. Mm. And while that doesn't explain and answer every question or unreconciled place that I have, I uh, coach myself into trusting that God, mm. um, but also then by cultivating time spent with God, reading scripture, praying, that kind of stuff. But... Um, when this podcast airs, it'll be after, like, essentially in my head right now is a New Year's sermon that I'll be sharing this weekend. So a lot of these thoughts kind of are all bundled mm -hmm. into that. But we use this phrase, uh, and we used it a few times in the Advent series, peace always requires a sacrifice. Mm. And that concept has grown to be pretty big for me. Like a lot of times in uh, teaching or preaching, some idea will come to my mind, like peace requires a sacrifice, and then I'll start thinking, is that true? Does that hold up? Is it accurate? Mm. Theologically, is it true? Relationally, is it true? Interpersonally, is it true? Uh, what about in terms of wars? What about uh, broken relationships? And the more I started thinking about this, the more I thought, I do think it does hold up. Mm. So... Let's take a common example where um, you've had a, um, an unhappy disagreement with a friend or a family member. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's, there's a lack of peace. There's not a reconciled state between the two of you. Okay, so, but we do want that peace. So what do we have to do to get there? Somewhere along the line, one or both 
are going to have to make an apology mm -hmm. for there to be real reconciliation. Um, and yes, there can be a meaningful conversation uh, where we can try to understand each other better and all that. But whether people know it or not, a sincere apology is actually a sacrifice. Mm. I'm laying down my sense of my right to myself right. because my desire to be reconciled and at peace with you is more important to me mm -hmm. than me, you know, clenching my fists and holding on to my rights. So even sometimes if you feel misunderstood or even though you've had these conversations with someone where um, you've tried to hear each other, and even if you feel misunderstood, you may still apologize. An apology doesn't always have to require that you're saying, I know I was wrong and right. you weren't. An apology is also an expression of humility to desire reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So... <clears throat> But it is a sacrifice. I'm not going to stand over you or clench my fists and hold on to my right to you. Right. I'm going to sacrifice my sense of myself or my right in order to establish peace between us. Right. So it's a sacrifice because you are giving up your right to the story that you are fairly certain you know is the way it is. You know, So you're giving that up. And I think that in its own way... When we, we were talking about Augustine and kind of wild living and trying not to trying to move beyond what would be regret, I would assume. I think that the idea that peace takes a sacrifice can actually in its own way be strangely comforting in the sense that that Christ as our sacrifice took the our ability to have peace really seriously. So like our sin actually is serious. So if it feels hard to let go or to move on, to understand that there was a great sacrifice <clears throat> made because it was serious. So we, if we take the sacrifice seriously, uh, we may be able to step onto that side of peace. Like it's not right. a bandaid. It was a, it's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, in Ephesians, I think it says in the new Testament, God is talking about Jews and Gentiles being reconciled. Mm -hmm. And he uses the phrase, um, and we are reconciled through Christ's death on the cross, mm. right? So there's absolutely something very deep. Um, your uh, juxtaposition with a Band-Aid is a good one. This is anything but a Band-Aid. Right. This is something that's getting at the deepest levels of life and requires the most substantial remedy. Mm. A Band-Aid is a very superficial remedy. The most substantial remedy we have it in the scriptures, would be uh, uh, a death that is paid for reconciliation to happen. Mm -hmm. And in this case, we're not just talking about a normal human being's death. We're talking about Jesus, fully God, fully man, God's own son, giving his life so that in that analogy, Jews and Gentiles can be reconciled to each other. But clearly, we also know theologically so that human beings and God can be right. reconciled to each other. So that's the like ultimate picture that peace requires a sacrifice. For us to have peace with God where we didn't have it mm. because our sin and rebellion separated us from God's holiness, a sacrifice is required to make that peace possible. So, yeah, it's a really big deal. Um, but in a, in a funny way, given our conversation, it can also be really helpful to know that this does happen just in small ways, too, mm. because some of the breaches are small. Right. So they can be a small repair. Yeah. 
right? If I'm getting on a, uh, if I'm getting, a, if I'm boarding an airplane, and completely by mistake, I elbow somebody in the back because hmm. I want to put my bag up in the overhead bin. No bad intention. It's just a completely honest mistake. So I can just look at them and say, I'm really sorry about that. Usually they'll say no problem. Right. But still something's required, mm -hmm. right? To bang someone in the back with your elbow and not do or say anything is missing mm. the point of what's happened. Mm. Right. But that one isn't taking a remedy that's as deep as, hey, can we really talk this out? Like if I, if I bang someone with my elbow <laughs> and I said, I'm really sorry. And they say, hey, we need to talk about this. I'd be like, what? <laughs> it was an honest mistake, right? So it's a, but it still is a sacrifice yeah. that I did that. And then I had, to, I need to say, I'm yeah. really sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I think one of the things I like as we're wrapping up about the phrase is that there's an activeness <clears throat> to it. It's like, if you think that peace is a passive experience that you're just going to like somehow align the forces in your circumstances to experience for a fleeting moment, like, you know, uh, feet up on the beach or something. No, like actually a true peace is an active experience. And we first experienced that at its deepest level through Christ. Yeah. And I'm thinking, um, the phrase that is so powerful, I want to take a quick look for it. The phrase that's so powerful is, Seek peace and pursue it. Hmm. That's the biblical uh, phrase that we get. Seek peace and pursue it. And you're wondering where it is, aren't you? <laughs> I'm like, and uh, come back next week and we'll on, let you know on. where it is. Okay. Psalm 34, verse 14. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace hmm. and pursue it. You actually got to pursue it. It's, it shows up again. First Peter 3.11. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That is good. Good stuff. All right. Thanks, David. We'll talk with you guys next week. Hopecast is a ministry of Hope Church in Richmond, Virginia. We're glad you joined us this week. If you'd like to learn more, you can find us online at www.hopecentral.com.